Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. If you're a longtime listener, you're in for a treat. We have a return guest, Stan Sattler. Peter, Stan was on a while ago. Do you remember when that was? Yeah, I think that was August of 2021. Holy cow. Oof, those were tough times. <laughs> 2021, <laughs> that was not an easy year by any no, means. No, it was not. All right. It well, what not. do you guys, do you remember what you talked about last time? Because well, I'd like, uh, I'd like the audience to go back and listen to that for sure. And then maybe give us a preview of what you're talking about this time. Yeah, so it, was, it was episode 64. All right. uh, back in August of uh, 2021. So what we talked about last time was Stan's firm, and and we'll 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 introduce Stan's firm, which is called Bell Haven, in, in just a second. But Stan's firm is their expertise is our bonds, mm, and right. uh, so we'll be talking about bonds. All right, I'm excited to learn with the audience. Stan, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your your time, and you did such a great time, uh, great job the last time. I we thought we'd revisit revisit the conversation and there was a lot happening in 2022 for the year in 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 bonds so i th i thought it was very very timely that that we had this conversation so welcome back peter thank you and eric thank you for having me it's uh it's it's not like we won't have anything to talk about bonds aren't so boring anymore with what's happened over the past 18 months so they I'm are not. back they're definitely not. So, so just let's start with the uh, the, the basics. W what kind of investment firm is is, is Bell Haven, and, and tell us what your role is at the firm. Yeah, perfect. Um, uh, Stan Sattler, uh, the the title, if you will, is Director of Investment Solutions. Um, my role at the firm is to uh, I sit on the trading desk with the portfolio managers and the decision makers on the investments on a day to day basis, and then uh, I interact with our our clientele and and work with uh, advisors like Peter. As a firm, we're a boutique fixed income manager. All we do is fixed income. So think of us as a foot wide and a mile deep as far as our expertise. And, and Peter can appreciate that. In the investment landscape, there's a lot of firms that try to be a lot of things to a lot of people, and it's just difficult to do that. So individuals like Peter tend to outsource the fixed income portfolio management, the bond portfolio management to firms like ourselves for our expertise. I mean, our our focus is preservation of principle, aka safety. We like to sleep well at night. Peter makes it clear that he likes to sleep well at night, and the clients that invest with us tend to like to sleep well at night. Safety, income, performance, that's that's really our bread and butter. Um, we're an institutional type of manager, which means um, you know, we're not out on CNBC or the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, we tend to fly under the radar intentionally. And folks like Peter will do research uh, to sort of uncover us as kind of a diamond in the rough. But uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're a known commodity for those that are in the know in the space, if you will. We were just awarded actually last month, Peter, um, a strategy of the decade for three of our strategies. Really? Yeah. And it's pretty exciting. What they do is they look at a peer group of 200 plus uh, investment options that are sort of similar to us or in our peer group, if you will. And they look at the risk adjusted returns of that entire grouping 
going back a decade. What, um, what is so what is? Could you describe just define what you mean by risk adjusted returns? Yeah, because uh, you know it, it, you you can be a great investment manager in the sense of hey, we have high returns, but then when the tide goes out. Um, you need to know, well, were those returns because that investment manager took a higher level of risk to get those returns? Or was it because they were truly doing something differentiated or better, quote unquote, better, if you will? So what PSN Informa does, um, who awards the Strategy of the Decade Awards, it's an institutional database for uh, you know pensions, endowments, uh, institutional investors like Peter. They go back and they look at the, the 10 years prior, the decade prior and say, you know, not only did you need to perform in the top tiers, you also needed to do so with a very high level of safety and uh, accounting for that risk. And three of our strategies were awarded that. So it's a it's a pretty significant award, especially for a firm that, that likes to kind of fly under the radar and isn't out advertising itself. Good. Well, congratulations. That's, a, that's Thank excellent. You. So let's let's again stick to the basics for for the time being. Describe to our listeners what what you mean by fixed income or bonds? What are they? Yeah, it's funny, Peter, because uh, you know because it's one of those uh, staples in an investment portfolio. The name can get thrown around willy nilly, right? To, to the point of why you're asking this question. And we keep it really simple uh, at Bellhaven. You know, a bond is simply a loan. Very similar to if you were to loan your money to a uh, family member or a friend. And the bond is that that family member or friend will pay you your money back, aka your principal, on a specific date, and most likely pay you interest for you to earn a return along the way. So a bond is simply a loan, uh, and it's an investment term that they they convert loan to bond, uh, but it's just a loan. So, so businesses are uh, will will borrow money from from banks. They'll borrow money from investors, G- governments. The U.S. government, for example, will borrow money, and so will state governments and municipalities. They'll all borrow money, right? Spot on. You know, there's there's so many different types of bonds out there. They're just not all the same. You know, and ultimately, uh, you know, you're you're trying to make a decision of you as the investor, who should you loan your money to? And there's positives and negatives of all the above, right? The bond could be backed by a mortgage payment, could be backed by a corporation doing business, could be backed by a municipality's tax revenue, could be backed by the federal government, could be backed by esoteric things that we don't focus on, such as uh, individuals paying their car bill or paying their credit card bill. Um, you know, you can imagine the, the the sort of different swim lanes, if you will, in the the bond landscape. For us at Bellhaven, we like to stick to the sort of quote unquote safer areas of the bond market, the more conservative areas. And our bread and butter tends to be municipalities loaning investors money to the municipality itself, the city of Boston, the state of Massachusetts, the water and sewer revenues of uh, you know a local municipality in the state of Massachusetts, property taxes, water bills, things like that. Pretty conservative revenue streams that investors can rely on. So we'll talk about um, how bonds differ in just a second, but 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 why are bonds included? In, a, in an investment portfolio, what what's the investor thinking? Both the what I what I call the retail investor, you know, right. our clients, 
or the institutions, whether that's an insurance company or an investment provider? You know, why are they buying bonds? Yeah, there's there's so many reasons, Peter, and you can pull my string on that question. We could spend an hour there, but but to keep it high level, you know, there's there's a few main reasons that investors own bonds. The biggest one is the idea of the safety and the defined outcome. A bond is considered a more conservative, a safer investment than many of the other investments out there. You're sort of higher on the pecking order, more conservative, and you have a defined outcome. When you loan your money to a friend or family member, your outcome is defined. You know you get your, you loan $100, you know you get your $100 plus some interest on a specific date. Bonds are the exact same way. You have a defined outcome. You loan your money to the state of Massachusetts. In six years, they pay you every dime of your money back. And along that six-year period, they're paying you timely interest payments. So the beauty of that is because it's a defined income stream and a defined outcome, it can really help regarding cash flow planning, such as a retiree, if you're an individual, such as a business owner that needs cash flow, such as an institution, such as an insurance company or a, a endowment or the like, um, in a very safe, conservative way. So you don't have to be uh, you know, overly concerned with, gosh, what's happening in the economy? What's going to happen with the Fed, inflation, war, right? I mean, you could keep yourself busy uh, for months trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. With a bond, you don't need to do that. You already have a defined outcome. So that defined outcome provides you safety. It provides you income. It also tends to work as a diversification tool in the overall scheme, the overall entire investment pool. Uh, if you're invested in other asset classes, other investments, in addition to bonds, bonds tend to zig when other investments zag. Not every time, which we can talk about, but they tend to the majority of the time. So they help they help smooth out the ride for an investor, for an insurance company, et cetera. That volatility dampener, that diversification. Now, obviously, as, as Peter has, has you know, helped investors through a, a difficult year in 2022, that diversification and volatility dampener didn't necessarily hold up the way you would hope it would last year in 2022. The majority of the time it does, and it works as a counterbalance. When stocks are down, bonds tend to be up and vice versa. So it really helps smooth out that ride. Last year was an anomaly. It's not to say that that's never happened before, but it is pretty rare what happened last year. We'd consider that sort of a hundred year flood, if you will, in the bond investment world. I think I think that's a, such an important point is um, th- that bonds act as a diversifier and that bonds are not the only game in town. Their investors have options. They they can choose different kinds of of instruments to invest in. It could be bonds. It could be stocks. It could be cash or money market funds. It could be private equity. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There's lots of different things that people can invest in. And bonds are just a piece of that. And um, I, I think what what I'm hearing from you and what what I believe is that bonds do something different than other kinds of assets. And that's why many investors include them. Uh, some investors uh, rely on them solely. Others include them as a small piece of their overall portfolio. Spot on. We we agree with that. And uh, you know the the holy grail of investing as a uh, you know an individual investor or an institution is always asset allocation, meaning um, 
a variety of different investments and assets to help smooth out the ride over a longer period of time. In a vacuum, if you look at a six-month period or a one-year period, they don't always work to perfection, as you saw in 2022. But over a longer period of time, study after study after study uh, has shown you that adding bonds, even a sliver of bonds, a small percentage allocation, dramatically changes that that idea of risk-adjusted, right? That idea of a high level of return without an enormous uh, amount of risk because of that defined outcome. Yeah, and I think that's key is that this, this, this is a, a portion of the portfolio. And this portion, that, that especially that Bell Haven manages, is the safer money. It's, this, it's the money where, they're, where the investor is looking for consistent income. And so that's a defined objective for that sliver, whether it's large or small. Spot on. Let's talk a little bit about um, the the bonds and how they react to certain markets. You know, right? What, what, and this reflects or really comes back to the twenty twenty two year. Why do bonds increase in value when interest rates fall? And why do bonds decrease in value when interest rates rise? Yeah, it's 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 the the number one conversation piece of uh, the past eighteen months, as you can imagine, Peter. Right? Um, you know, and, and I'll answer that question directly, but then there's a longer conversation around the idea. Look, because I've made it clear about that defined outcome, right? That is the key differentiator with bonds and other investments. It's not guesswork. You know the interest rate you're getting paid. You know the date you get your money back. Because of that, you know the interest rate. You know the loan money that you're being paid. So let's just say you bought a bond, aka loaned your money to a municipality, such as the state of Massachusetts, in August of 2021, right? The last time you had me on, Peter. Uh, episode 64. Maybe at that time when interest rates were meaningfully lower, maybe that loan, depending on the, the maturity and a number of factors, maybe you could get 2% on that loan, let's just say on a good day. Meaning you'd loan your money to the state and they'd say, hey, we'll pay you 2% per year. Now that 2% is tax-free, so don't be uh, so disappointed by that 2%. When you account for taxes, it's actually a pretty attractive return for such a safe investment, even back then. But now, let's say you can make that same investment and it is 4%. It is double what it was. You shouldn't be by any means disappointed in the idea that you loaned your money at 2% in August of 2021. That was an astute investment. That was a smart investment. That was a safe investment. But if you look at your financial statement today and you sit down with Peter or you look at your custodial statement, you sit down at the end of the year and you say, hmm, this bond investment is supposed to be safe, but it says it's red. It says I'm down. I'm confused. What's going on there? Right. All that is showing you is that the bond is saying here's the price of the bond. If you had to sell it in today's market, if you loaned your money 18 months ago and today you wanted to sell it. That's all it's showing you. And the reason it's down is because if you bought a new bond or you loaned your money back to a municipality today, you'd be at 4%, just for argument's sake. That's not a good thing or a bad thing, right? The market is just pricing if you had to sell your bond. But the beauty of the defined outcome is you don't have to sell your bond. So don't be overly concerned about the value of your bond if you own individual bonds. 
don't be overly concerned that today my bond portfolio is up, tomorrow it's down, today it's up, tomorrow it's down. Because of that defined outcome, quite frankly, it's irrelevant. In fact, if you went back 30 plus years ago and you looked at a bond statement, you wouldn't even get an opportunity to see what the value of your bond was worth in the open market because there wasn't even an opportunity to do so or to sell that bond. It was just a loan that you just held on to and clipped your coupon and earned that yield. Today, with the advent of technology and transparency, which is certainly a wonderful thing for investors, the crux of it is it can create sort of anxiety around your investments. Oh, my bonds are down. That's bad. My bonds are up. That's good. You look at it almost like you'd look at a stock portfolio, right? Green, good, red, bad. But that's just not the case. A bond is just a loan, just like a CD, right? If you buy a CD, you work with Peter and you own any CDs, you don't see a market price on that CD. You just see, hey, I loan $10,000 at 5%. And next year, I get my $10,000 back plus 5%. A bond is the exact same idea. Now, the way Bellhaven structures portfolios takes advantage of those interest rate fluctuations, which we can certainly talk a little bit about. But the point being is don't be concerned when you see interest rates are higher and the value of my bonds are down. I also wouldn't be overly excited if you see interest rates move lower from here and the value of your bonds are up. Unless you're trying to trade these things, it's not all that important to you, quite frankly. You're locked in in a safe vehicle intentionally. But if you had to sell for an exogenous reason where you needed liquidity, the market is telling you what that bond is worth. And so can you structure a, a, a bond portfolio to, to reflect your, your, your need from a timing perspective? You know, if, for example, if I don't think I need to receive the the principal back my the, the money that I lent if I don't need that for 10 years then can I time my portfolio to reflect that or if I need it in 5 years exactly spot on peter and that's why we get the question all the time oh if i think interest rates are going to go higher or i think the federal reserve is going to do this next month should i wait should i act what do you think is going to happen next month what do you think is going to happen next quarter and i get why that happens because you you get caught as an investor staring at cnbc which uh, you know we nicknamed the constantly negative bond channel uh, <laughs> because bonds don't sell ratings peter right stop and the, the quote-unquote more uh, sexier stuff, if you will, tend to, but bonds don't. So CNBC doesn't do bond investors any favors. But you get caught in that. Oh my gosh, what's the Fed going to do? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's, which way is the market going? And it gets you all worked up and anxiety and you make decisions as an investor. And it's a shame because a bond portfolio is just simpler than that. So we build portfolios that do well in a variety of environments. Recession, no recession. Higher interest rates, lower interest rates, not moving interest rates, right? We want to build a portfolio that allows you to sleep well at night. And one way of doing that to uh, your point, Peter, is we build what's called a laddered portfolio, L-A-D-D-E-R-E-D, laddered portfolio. And what that is, is you stagger the maturity dates, the due dates of those loans, those bonds. So for example, uh, you own one-year bonds and two-year bonds and three-year bonds and four-year bonds and five-year bonds. That would be a one to five-year laddered portfolio. And the beauty of that is naturally you have bonds maturing 
each and every year, more likely perhaps even each and every month or each and every quarter. So as those bonds mature, you get your full money back, regardless of, uh, you know, at one point the bond was down, at one point the bond was up. You loaned $1,000 to that municipality, you get your $1,000 back a year later, plus the interest. So the nice feature of that is you're constantly having a return of principal each and every couple of months, each and every year. And then that can be reloaned out, repurchased into a new bond at the new market environment. So in my example, where you used to loan your money at 2% and now you can loan it at 4%. Well, when your bond matures, that 2% bond matures, you get your money back and now you have cash. And now you get to reinvest that cash at the 4% rate. And you get to lock in that new higher interest rate. So the beauty of that laddered structure, particularly when you own individual bonds, is that it's basic, it's simple, and it removes the timing of interest rates. If interest rates go higher, you can be happy because you know that within the next six months, I'm going to have new cash that I then get to reinvest at a higher interest rate. Wonderful. If interest rates go lower, the value of your bonds go higher and you're reinvesting back at a lower interest rate, right? It's simple uh, sort of bond math, if you will, and it's defined. But the beauty of it for the individual investor is you don't have to pull your hair out about, well, is the Federal Reserve going to raise rates? Are they going to cut rates? How much are they going to raise rates? Where are interest rates going to go? Over a longer period of time, it all works itself out in the wash, and it's a very defensive sleep-at-night portfolio without having to try and time markets and time which direction interest rates are going to go. Because as smart as you may think you are as an investor, as often as you'll watch the constantly negative bond channel, as great of an advisor as you may have with Peter, you will inevitably be wrong on interest rates, on the direction of interest rates. It's like trying to time the stock market, which Peter, I'm sure, constantly tries to <laughs> convince uh, investors to, to at least ease the reliance on doing so. So the it's ladder impossible. is- impossible. It it's is. impossible. Exactly. It's just impossible. So the laddered strategy is basic. It's simple. But it's the simplicity is what works wonderfully because you don't have to be concerned about the day-to-day gyrations of interest rates. Yeah, I think that's key. It's 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 thinking not short term but long term. Where where do you see yourself in the future? Whether that's a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, and it's designing a portfolio to meet that goal, not designing a portfolio to meet the current rates of today or the current market situation. It just doesn't work that way because you can't really can't time. You got to buy good companies. Um, if you're buying stocks, um, you got to invest in good, in good bonds, say, safer bonds, and that's a that's a question that I have for you. How do you determine the risk of a bond? You know, how do you how do you feel good about that? Yeah, it's it's an important question, Peter. Um, you know, we talked about the interest rate risk and, and how we reduce any concerns there around the ladder. But the other sort of quote unquote risk that you need to navigate as an investor is look, you're loaning your money. And you need to be able to sleep well at night and comfortable that 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 entity that you loaned your money to, that person, that municipality, that corporation, whatever it is, is going to be able to pay you back. So don't make it more complicated than it than it needs to be for anyone listening, Peter. Right? Think about if you were to loan uh, you know a couple thousand dollars to someone or some entity you know, what would you want to know? Well, do they have cash on hand? 
what do they plan on doing with my money that they're borrowing? Why do they want to or need to borrow my money? Um, what does their cash flows look like? Money coming in, money coming out. Am I confident they can pay me back? What is their history with loans like these and uh, paying investors back? Pretty basic stuff. Now you can get into the weeds. Uh, you know, you know, uh, our firm being a bunch of uh, you know bond nerds, if you will, can really get into uh, the details of that. But ultimately, you're trying to determine: is this municipality viable? What is this loan for? Will they pay us back in full? And it's pretty unique because the, the municipal bond market seems pretty simple on the surface. Hey, it's a municipality. They get tax revenue. They get uh, you know, unique uh, income streams coming in and they borrow money to do infrastructure, build a new bridge, build a new park, build a new water and sewer system, upgrade a school, things like that. But what gets lost on most uh, investors um, particularly those that maybe try and give it a go on their own without an advisor or a manager at first, and they learn pretty quickly. It's the, it's the most vast uh, investment landscape you'll ever run into. Um, if you think horizontally vast in terms of your options, the municipal bond market, there's over 70,000 municipalities in this country that borrow money for a variety of rhymes and reasons. Not only is there 70,000 municipalities or more than that, there's a variety of different loan structures of each of those municipalities. And in some, that leaves you with over a million options. Your head could spin trying to get your head around how to sort of comb through the investments out there. Now, we do a great job at that. Our first and foremost objective is high quality municipalities that can pay us back. So things we look for are things like essential services. Is the service that is going to pay us back essential? Uh, what would be essential? You know, uh, essential would be similar to uh, paying your water bill. That revenue source goes to a municipal bondholder. Well, if you don't pay your water bill, you don't have water. That's fairly essential. What is not essential? Hey, we'd love to build a, a train from from. Uh, we'd love to build a, a faster train on off from uh, Boston to New York. Nice to have, maybe, maybe not. We would be okay with that investment, um, but it's certainly not essential. Um, you know, so those are quite a bit different. So even in the municipal bond space, it's not just a quote unquote blanket answer of municipal bonds are safe. There are varying degrees of safety in the municipal bond market. And we encourage in this environment and, and what we focus on tends to be the higher quality, the more conservative. There's uh, rating agencies that rate the uh, debt outstanding of these municipalities. And we tend to operate in the higher quality ranges, AAA, AA, single A, for those of you that are familiar with it. That tends to be our bread and butter where there are riskier type of developmental type of deals like a train station or like a, uh, a developer is going to go build a, a new uh, park in downtown and residential homes, right? That's more... Uh, it could be a good investment. It might not be, but that's considerably more risky than, hey, this is an established town and it's wealthy uh, individuals paying their water bill. And and you're doing that kind of analysis not just once when you when the when the bond is purchased, but you're continuing to review and and analyze that municipality and that bond over time. I assume. Yep, on a, on a regular basis, absolutely. It's not just uh, you know, when we go shopping for it once we're running the financials and talking to the municipalities and you know and cutting through things. It, it's an ongoing decision. Um, 
because the world changes, right? I mean, gosh, if we learned anything in 2020, it's that things evolve. You know, municipalities that, that were safe pre-COVID may not be anymore. Think of things like a, a retirement home or student housing. It doesn't mean necessarily bad, but it certainly changed the tune on those types of investments post-COVID. So it's constantly evolving um, and you constantly need to be on top of the, the safety dynamics. Now, the beauty of the municipal bond market is, look, municipalities don't go into non-existence. It's not like a corporate bond where all of a sudden Amazon steps into your sector and puts you out of business because they're better at running the business than the company next to them. And all of a sudden that corporation doesn't exist anymore. No one's buying the state of Wisconsin and putting them out of business, right? But what happens very slowly over time is the financials could deteriorate in a state or a municipality. But it doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't sneak up and bite you like it could in other investments. It happens very gradually, very slowly, and, and you can kind of see the train coming down the track. So that's part of the beauty of, of what we do and what other good municipal bond managers will do is they'll see that train coming down the tracks from a mile away because of how slow the municipal bond market tends to move. You know, things like migration. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Did no, no, I was just using it as an example, things like migration, right? You don't, um, uh, not everybody picks up and leaves the Northeast and moves to Florida all in one day, right? But we all have friends and family, uh, you know, in the, in the post-COVID era, you know, where some have made the decisions to, uh, you know, you can work from home and they move to different climates or what have you. Not a concern for Massachusetts and New York, uh, to, be, to be clear for those listeners, but things like that, right? Migration patterns take uh, decades to unfold. It doesn't sneak up and bite you and everything changes abruptly in 24 hours like it can in other investments. Sure. Stan, let me um, switch gears a little bit. Um, we, we, you talked about um, the advantages of owning individual bonds and in laddering, that the concept of buying bonds that have different maturities. But many of our clients invest in bonds via mutual funds or exchange-traded right. funds. What's what's their experience? Is is that a similar advantage? Is is that mutual fund actually doing a similar kind of ladder, and do they get the same results? Yeah, many mutual funds will use a ladder structure. You know, we manage mutual funds here at Bellhaven as well, and we manage them in a laddered structure. It's a little different. There's some nuances between an individual bond portfolio and a mutual fund. But absolutely, you know, many of these mutual funds will be managed in some uh, managed in some form or fashion, uh, you know, a laddered or, or similar. You know, and there's there, like any investment, there's benefits and drawbacks on both sides of this. You know, there's plenty of benefits of a fund. There's plenty of benefits of individual bonds. You know, it really depends on what the client's goals and needs are rather than one is good or one is bad. It's really just what, what are the objectives and what are you trying to accomplish? When I think of... of um mutual funds or exchange traded funds and i think of what what happens for example what happened in 2022 when interest rates across the the globe increased in value yeah increased in, and that therefore the mutual funds the way they were pricing their bonds showed a fairly significant loss in 2022 right you know they didn't sell all their bonds they they kept them will those bonds that they owned rebound in price as they get closer to their maturity dates? Yeah, the, the bonds, it's it's a good point, Peter. The bonds that are still held in the funds that you know were knocked down a peg, every day that goes by, every month, every year that goes by, as they get closer to their maturity date, they get closer to 
that uh, sort of getting your money back idea, right? That you have with individual bonds. The the I would say this way: when you when you own individual bonds, you really have the defined outcome. When you own it in a fund, you don't necessarily have the exact same defined outcome. The bond doesn't change, but what does change is the coming and goings of investors in that fund. So if there are other investors that decided to sell bonds, you know, hit the sell button at any time in that fund, the fund manager does need to sell. So what typically happens is in volatile interest rate environments, many investors sort of pat themselves on the back around the idea of owning individual bonds because there's the comfort and the transparency of here's the date that I get my money back. In a fund, you don't necessarily have that. But on the flip side, what you do gain in a fund is you get an enormous amount of diversification. So in an environment where you're concerned about underlying uh, loans not paying their bills as well, or uh, you know, a recessionary environment such as 2008 or something disastrous like that, the beauty of the fund is you can have a limited amount of capital but own a very small sliver of hundreds if not thousands of individual bonds where you can sleep very well at night knowing, God forbid, something is to happen in a municipality or a corporation or et cetera, you know, it shouldn't have a huge hit on me. You know, those are sort of the two extremes. You know, there's, there's varying degrees of gray in between all those ideas. They both have their place. Individual bond portfolios are great if you have a large sum of money, so you can really diversify with individual bonds. And if, you, if you're talking a more you know, traditional size of money, then the benefits you get of diversification and, and the convenience and the liquidity in a fund can really be a home run for investors. So again, it's, it's, it's personalized. You know, not all investors are the same. Not all investors should be in individual bonds. Many should own probably both individual bonds and funds in some way, shape or form. We would agree with that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the process of purchasing and selling bonds, because I think this is one of the things that makes Bellhaven uh, a, a, a bit different and, yeah. and is, is a real value add. So could you talk about that? Yeah, you know, we, we touched on the idea of, gosh, uh, you know, 70,000 plus issuers, a million options. So, so how do you actually go about doing that? So every day of the week, five days a week, you know, there's... Um, a variety of different municipalities that are going to market to raise money for whatever, uh, whatever that may be. Again, a park, uh, housing, uh, you know, infrastructure type of deals typically, but a variety of things. So that is called the new issue market, where the municipality is going to market, working with investors and saying, hey, we want to build a bridge. We need to borrow $100 million to build this bridge. Here's the interest rate we're comfortable paying. Do you agree? Do you like this? Let's negotiate. Let's work it out. And then those bonds get purchased. Those loans happen. Investors own those bonds. But then there's a robust secondary market where maybe five years later, investors want to buy more of or sell that bond to other investors. And that's where they trade hands in between investor to investor. And you see a lot of that. Now, 
Because of the vastness of the municipal bond market, municipal bonds do not trade like most of your investments. It's not a click of a button like you're used to with stocks or mutual funds or other investments that trade on what's called an exchange, right? The NASDAQ, the New York Stock Exchange, right? Things like that. Municipal bonds do not. They trade what's called over-the-counter, which means that the buyer of a bond and the seller of a bond typically do not interact with one another. There's an entity in between that transaction. Many times that's a, you know, the classic investment banks that you all would be familiar with, the big names. So you have a buyer, a seller, and an entity in between. And that's important because that entity in between doesn't work for free. Um, so there's varying degrees of what's called execution, aka the price you pay or the price you sell a bond for in the open market, in the secondary market. For perspective, you know, I don't know how many people you know, listen to this, this podcast the second it comes out, but let's say there's 30 people uh, you know, listening to this podcast uh, right away when it comes out, right? Three, 300. Um, there we go. There's 300 people listening to this podcast the, the second it comes out. And all 300 of you, Stan uh, mentioned the state of Massachusetts a few times and you say, well, I want to go buy the state of Massachusetts municipal bonds. All 300 of you would pay 300 different prices, potentially dramatically different prices based on a variety of things. So it's just more opaque. It's not exchange traded. It's not that clear what something exactly is worth. Now, the pros have a very good sense on what something is worth. Um, Bellhaven prides itself on taking advantage of that opaqueness and what something is worth. But think of it more like the housing market or the car market, where you have a good sense. There's sort of quote-unquote comps. You, you have a good sense what this car is worth and what this house is worth. But it's not, um, you know, it's not the same idea where all 300 individuals go to buy, you know, Apple stock or Google stock or something like that, and you pay, you you basically all pay the exact same price. That would not be the case in the municipal bond market. So we've structured our firm to to, to take advantage of that dynamic on behalf of clients and produce some some excess returns, some extra oomph for them without having to take additional risk. So if, if you're buying a bond for less than someone else, if it's assuming it's the same bond, in theory, you, your your rate of return is going to be a little bit higher. Exactly. You'll get a higher level of income. You'll get a little extra safety, downside protection. You'll be able to outperform all your other buddies that are not working with a manager like Bellhaven on the same level of risk. Perhaps we could even build a more conservative portfolio for you and produce a higher level of income and performance than many of your buddies because of that unique dynamic. And then on the other side, are you able to to profit or add value when you sell a bond? Exactly. It goes both ways. It's not just simply buying the bond. The, the work isn't done when you buy the bond. The, the work has just begun. You know, From there, we're continuing to do the credit analysis and, and making sure that bond is safe. But we're also trying to see if somebody wants to overpay for one of our clients' bonds. Uh, you know, we're constantly feeling out the market and seeing if someone is willing to pay too much for your bond as the investor. Think of that as if you owned a home. You know, the, the home is worth, let's say it's a round number, let's say it's a million dollar house. It's your dream home. You were able to buy it a little cheaper than your buddy. You bought it at 950000 but now it's worth a million. You love the thing. You have no desire to move. You have no desire to sell that house. But 
there's a price you'd sell it for, right, Peter? We we all have our price, right? Yeah, <laughs> there's, absolutely. There's the there's the make me move price, right? There's 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 a few things in my life I wouldn't sell, but there's a price for just about everything else, right? <laughs> and and that's how we manage the bond portfolio on investors' behalf is is just like that. Is look, we bought this bond, aka this house, for a reason. We bought it better than most can buy it because of our advantages, and we plan on keeping it with that defined outcome until maturity. But if somebody wants to pay us way too much for this thing, ultimately pay our clients way too much for this thing, why not let them have it and create some some extra oomph and excess return for them? We'll take that gain, the proceeds of the bond, and we'll go back and, and uh, find a very similar bond and hopefully do it all over again. So by no means are we day trading you know, portfolios and moving in and out of these things aggressively, but why not make it available? Build a simple conservative laddered portfolio, but then say... Here's the for sale sign. If somebody wants to overpay enough for it, you can have it. So, Stan, let's. We've got just a few more minutes. I just have uh, really, really one question. You know, you talk about the the kind of the boring conservative bond marketplace, but is there anything new and, and interesting that you see right now? You know, what what should clients be be concerned about with 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 their with their bond portfolio? What 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 opportunities might there be? Yeah, um, there's there's a few there's a few out there, and I, I want to respect all the listeners' time. You know, new and interesting. There's there's always new information and news coming out there. The the biggest one is uh, from the White House from D.C. Uh, around tax rates. For those of you that have not been been keeping up uh, very closely on tax rates, I wouldn't assume necessarily everybody is, but as a municipal bond manager, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, the Biden administration, and, and there's a lot of support behind it in some form or fashion, is looking to raise taxes. Look, prior to 2008, this country was only $4 trillion in debt. Today, we're, we're scratching $32 trillion. We went from $4 trillion before 08 to $8 trillion after 08, and then we've ballooned to $32 trillion. And for a variety of reasons, that's happened, right? To help fight COVID and inflation and a number of factors. But Ultimately, how do we pay that debt back as a country, uh, as the federal government? You're not going to default on that debt. Um, trust me, that's not going to happen. It's a constitutional uh, a, a program that, that'll make sure that doesn't happen. It would be a shame if they were delayed on an interest payment, but that's not going to happen uh, when you talk about the budget and all that. So what else can you do? Well, you can try and grow your way out of that debt. Well, you can't really do that because you, you need to tamper this inflation so you can't create a huge amount of growth right now. So your other option is to generate revenue from a different factor. And the way they're going to generate revenue is to raise taxes on the top earners and the high net worth. So you're starting to see uh, programs slide across our desk for higher corporate tax rates, individual tax rates, both at a federal and state level, capital gains tax rates, eliminating some of the loopholes, et cetera. We'll see exactly how it'll pass. It's politics and, and all that good stuff. But the pendulum has swung where we are going to see higher tax rates in the future. So I bring that up because it, it hasn't become a front page news story yet. It's just starting to work its way through DC and the investment channels. So for investors that are considering the municipal bond market and the benefits of tax-free municipal bonds there, should tax rates go higher, your tax rate and other investors' tax rates, municipal bonds become uh, quite a bit of value. So you're starting to see money kind of uh, move into the, the tax-exempt muni space um, fairly aggressively, but but it hasn't woken up to everybody yet, and there's still an opportunity to kind of get in front of that. So that's one. 
I would be uh, sort of cautious around aggressive areas of the bond market, such as high yield or similar. It's not to say to don't own any, just just be cognizant of what you're doing there and, and uh, be cognizant of the potential economic backdrop and, and all that. With that in mind, our best idea right now for investors, Peter, um, is to take some of the chips off the table from the corporate bonds and move them into taxable municipal bonds. Um, and, and we won't have time to really dive into the details of taxable municipal bonds today, but it's a municipal bond that pays you taxable interest, like a corporate bond. They're tax-free at the state level, but they're taxable at the federal level. So they're great for uh, a proxy for corporate bonds or treasury bonds and the like. Very high level of safety, wonderful income, and a nice added diversification tool for those already in corporate bonds. So that would be our, our kind of three things to watch out for. Just be cognizant of tax rates, be cognizant of the, the uh, more fringe, aggressive areas of the bond market, and, and take a serious look. Uh, Peter, have your listeners reach out to you on that taxable municipal bond idea, and we can spend some extra time there. That's great. Hey, Stan, once again, this has been fantastic. I, I so appreciate your thoughts, and it's such an important message. Bonds are important part of the the uh, the economy important part of many of our clients portfolios they do they do solve problems they do uh, help clients meet their financial objectives so you guys have a great offering and uh, lots of expertise and I so thankful that you're you're one of our our investment partners that we we go to for as a, as a resource so thank you for that Thank you, Peter. Bonds aren't so boring anymore. I'm pretty popular these days. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully all your guests on the podcast stay awake for this one because uh, bond, bonds are back and uh, we'll see. But uh, bond returns may be uh, quite attractive compared to other investments. That, uh, could, be the that, that could be the title of, uh, of the podcast. Bonds are back. There you go. Bonds are back. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Peter, that's so funny because that's exactly what I was thinking is that's a perfect title. Bonds are back with an exclamation point. Very exciting. Stan, this has been fantastic. I appreciate all the info. Peter, obviously there's a good reason that you brought Stan back, a wealth of information. Obviously he's a very powerful part of your network, folks that you rely on for this specific subject uh, to help your clients. If people want to learn more about that, how do they reach out to you? Yeah, um, I would I would call them. I shouldn't have said partner. They're really a resource for us in in what we do for our clients. Uh, the best way to reach me is through uh, probably through my website uh, raskinplanning.com, and uh, our contact information is there. and And uh, we can give Stan a call anytime if clients have specific questions about their bonds. All right, fantastic. Again, gentlemen, thank you so much for the podcast. And our last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp.
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp., a broker-dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.